He is, as the title slide says, the one with all the answers. He's the one who knows everything. He's God. He's divinity. He is omniscient. And so there's a reason why you don't waste any time asking me those questions, because you know I don't know the answer. You save those questions for Jesus because he's the one with all the answers. And that fact makes one aspect of Jesus' ministry surprising and perplexing. For the one who has all the answers, Jesus sure asked a lot of questions, doesn't he? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever read through your Gospels and just noticed how many questions Jesus asks? If you do that, it will amaze you how often and how frequently he's asking people questions. Questions like, who do you say that I am? How can you, being evil, speak what is good? Why do you bother the woman? Could you not keep watch for one hour? What do you seek? What do you want from me? How does it read to you? Why do you call me good? Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? Do you have a hardened heart? Do you love me? He asked all sorts of questions throughout the Gospels. By my count, I went through my Bible and I took a pink highlighter because all the other ones were out of ink. And, uh, and I marked every verse in the Gospels where Jesus asked a question. And I came up with more than 135 questions. Which is really odd. In John 2 verse 25, it tells us that Jesus did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. He's the one who knows everything. He knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking. He can read your mind. So why would he ever bother to ask anybody any questions? The answer to that, I believe, is because he's dealing with people who don't know very much about themselves. Please hear me clearly. That Jesus never asks questions so that he can learn something about men. He always asks questions to help people learn something about themselves. His questions are, are intended to help us evaluate ourselves and examine ourselves and look inside our heart and, and consider what we really need to consider instead of getting distracted with other things. His questions help us examine ourselves. And I think we understand how that works, right? At least, at least every parent understands how that works. If you have a six-year-old daughter whose room looks like the scene of a miniature natural disaster, and you say to her, I want you to go, I want you to go clean up your room. And then you go into the kitchen, you start working on dinner, and 57 seconds later she comes bounding into the kitchen and says, it's done! What do you do? You ask a question, right? <laughs> Is it really clean? And you don't ask that question because you're genuinely curious. You know it's not clean. You know that she would have had to break about 15 different laws of physics in order to clean her room in that time. You ask the question even though you know the answer. Why? Because you want her to trudge back to her room, open the door, and take another look. And you want her to look more deeply and look more carefully and consider that the room really isn't clean at all. And so we ask questions even when we know the answers because we want people to evaluate themselves and examine their work. And that's why Jesus asks questions too. 
We hate to admit it, but we are not very good at self-examination, are we? We hesitate to examine ourselves. And when we begrudgingly decide to do it, we aren't always honest with what we find. That's what we see in the Pharisees in John chapter 9. This is one of my favorite stories from the Bible because it shows us just how, just how clearly, just how obvious it is that we are not honest about how we examine ourselves. And we are not always uh, careful about how we look at ourselves. In John chapter 9, the chapter begins with Jesus healing a man born blind. And it's a miracle that no one can dispute. And, and the Pharisees throughout the entire chapter are trying to do everything they can to dispute the indisputable. To try to undo this miracle that Jesus did. So they first say, well, this really wasn't a man who was born blind. And then when that's undone, or when that's proven false, then they say, well, let's bring his parents in and make sure that he was always born blind. And then when his parents throw him under the bus, they come to him and they, they say, just forget all of this. You worship God. Don't worry about that false teacher. And eventually, because he won't deny Jesus, they cast him out of the synagogue. And then at the end of this entire story, after they've done everything to ignore Jesus' miracle, they have the gall to stand before Jesus in verse 40 and say, we're not blind too, are we? And it makes you want to say, well, duh, you are blind. We aren't always great at self-examination. The Pharisees worked. We can be blind and half-hearted, self-deceived, stubborn, and dishonest. We can be a bit like a six-year-old trying to pass off a dirty bedroom as clean. And that's why the questions of Jesus are so important. Because they help us examine ourselves. And they help us see ourselves clearly. And so that's what I want to do with you with my lessons this week. Is I want to look at some of the questions that Jesus asks asked. And in each lesson, we're going to use one of those questions as a tool for personal, spiritual introspection. We're going to use the questions of Jesus to dig into our own hearts, to look more deeply at ourselves and consider, consider what he would have me learn about myself. And ultimately, I hope that by the end of this, you'll be able to see yourself more clearly and you'll be empowered and equipped to help yourself become more like Jesus. I need to say at the onset of this that preachers often come with different material for different purposes, right? Sometimes they come because they want to bring the fire and brimstone. Sometimes they come because they just want to be encouraging or maybe they want to you know, build faith and talk about evidences. My goal is very simple this week, and it is to make you uncomfortable. <laughs> That's a good way to not get invited back, right? <laughs> Um, but that's what I want to do. I, I want to make you uncomfortable. And, and it's okay because I'll be uncomfortable too. Because that's what the questions of Jesus are supposed to do. They're supposed to challenge us and make us uncomfortable with where we're at. So that we can change. We can see ourselves clearly. clearly and we can become more like Jesus. So I want you to follow me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. In all of what we just did, I hope that serves as a fitting introduction for all of our uh, studies this week. But our first question is going to be found in Matthew chapter 16, and it's going to be this very famous, very fundamental question where Jesus here says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? 
And so for a few minutes, let's read this passage and direct our thoughts and use that question to examine ourselves. In verse 24, the Bible says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Every life consists of millions of choices. There are, there are, there are eight trillion billion different ways that you could possibly live your life, but... Jesus helps us see in this passage that ultimately every life is going to be defined by just one choice. And that choice is very simple. It is, you can choose to keep your life, or you can choose to lose your life. There are a billion different ways to live your life, but that one choice is really what it all comes down to. Keep your life, or lose your life. It really is that simple. When Jesus talks about keeping your life, or in this passage more specifically, he talks about saving your life. What he means by that is that you can choose to live your life selfish, selfishly. It means that you can choose to live for yourself. You can choose to ignore God, focus on yourself, and indulge in, in every fleshly desire that pops up. And there are some people who choose to live like that. They look at their life, they look at their day... And everything about their life centers on one thing. What is it that I want? What is it that I desire? What would I like to do? What would I like to become? What would I like to accomplish? Jesus says some people choose to keep their life. And of course he's careful to mention that those who choose to keep their life are ultimately those who lose their souls. If you ignore God and focus on yourself and just do what feels good during your time on earth, then undoubtedly you'll have a little fun, you'll feel a little pleasure, and you'll definitely avoid a little bit of hardship during your handful of decades. But when it's all over, you've got nothing to look forward to. You can choose to keep your life. But if you do, you forfeit all eternity. Jesus says the other option is to lose your life. And what he means by that is simply that you can choose to give your life to God. You can take the time that you've been given, and you can make the choice to please God instead of pleasing yourself. Of course, that choice isn't always easy. There's a reason why Jesus refers to it as what? Losing your life. It's not always fun. It's not always easy. In verse 24, he refers to it as denying yourself, and that's what it takes if you're going to choose to lose your life. It's a choice that requires restraint and self-control and self-denial. It inevitably leads to difficulty and discomfort and suffering. If you choose to lose your life and give your life to God, it's the path of greater resistance. It makes your life a little bit harder while you live here on this earth. But, but the end of it is an eternity of inexpressible joy. Lose your life, and you get to keep your soul for all eternity. And so, brothers and sisters, that's the human proposition. All of life on earth is really as simple as that. Are you going to choose to keep your life and live for yourself? 
Or are you going to choose to lose your life and give it to God? And Jesus is not shy about which option he thinks is best. And, and in verse 26, he answers that in a uh, by, by he answers that with a rhetorical question, right? He says, he says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? He says, Look, at the end of the day, you need to think this through. You may be looking at your life and you may be, you may say, look, it sounds good to focus on myself. It sounds good to indulge in every single desire that I have. But at the end of the day, how is that really worth it? Is that really the best choice? What could you possibly hope to gain? If you choose to keep your life, what are you going to gain that's worth forfeiting your soul? What passing pleasure is worth Passing up an opportunity to spend eternity with your Father in heaven. What would you give in exchange for your soul that would really be worth it in the final analysis? So Jesus says, look, if you may choose to keep your life, but because that choice requires you to give up your soul, it's always going to be the wrong choice. Jesus makes this point in a very clear way in, in one of his one of my favorite parables is in Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. To miss the point of that parable requires a level of stupidity that I don't believe any of you possess. Jesus and his kingdom are worth everything that you have. They're worth every dollar in your bank account, every second of every day of your entire life. Like that fine pearl that he finds, there is nothing you have that you might give that wouldn't be worth gaining the kingdom, that wouldn't be worth spending eternity with God. The promise of eternal life is that pearl of great price. It's worth everything. And then so. So you might look at that now and say, okay, that's simple enough. We answered the question. We can close the book, move on, done, easy piece of cake. I'm going to choose to lose my life, to give my life to God, so that I can spend all eternity with God. That's the easy choice, right? That's the obvious choice, right? But you and I both know it's not that simple. You and I both know that's why Jesus feels the need to ask this question in the first place. Because the amazing thing about life on earth is that nearly every single person who ever lives makes the wrong choice. Isn't that amazing? That when it is laid out for us so clearly, if you give your life to God, you can spend eternity with him. You can spend eternity with him. Having, having, having joy inexpressible. And yet even though we know that, even though we know that we choose to forfeit eternity so that we might gain some kind of, some kind of cheap thrills while we live here on this earth, it, it, it makes no sense. It is, it is unthinkable, it is unreasonable, it is irrational, and yet it is so common. It's what... Pretty much every person does. We sell our souls to gain some earthly treasure. 
You've done it. And I've done it. And everybody out there has done it too. It's amazing that Jesus here in, in Matthew 16, he's asking a rhetorical question, but we're sitting back and we're giving him legitimate answers. We sell our souls for all kinds of stuff. A little bit of money, a little bit of sexual pleasure, a few social media clicks, a better reputation. We sell our souls to hold on to our pride, to keep holding on to a little grudge. We sell our souls for all kinds of things. Even though we know that those things are not worth eternity. Not even close. And so one of the reasons I think Jesus asked this question in Matthew 16 is because he wants us to take one more step and ask another question. Because the real question here is not, what will a man give in exchange for, for his soul? We know that there, there's nothing you might gain that would be worth giving up your soul. We know that. And so the real question here is, why do people sell their souls? Why do we sometimes sell our souls? Why do we risk everything for nothing? And I think maybe if we can look inside of ourselves and answer that question honestly, it'll help us make some better choices in our lives. So, I promised a Bible class, or Brent promised a Bible class. You told me to. I did. <laughs> I told Brent to promise you a Bible class. Um, so, I do want to take this time and kind of open it up to you. Why do people sell their souls? Why do people risk it all for nothing? How would you answer that? Should I make Brent go first since he makes you guys talk? <laughs> yes, sir. To use your example of a little kid, if you put, whatever, you know, you, you'll see a kid, they get a toy, and you bring something shiny in front of them, and immediately just gravitate towards them and forget this. I believe as adults, we run into that same problem. <clears throat> there is always something that's right in front of us that Again, we know the value of it. We know all of that. But for that brief moment, that just supersedes everything because it's right in front of us. And we look at eternities like, oh, I can get there. But this thing comes and it blocks away. And you hold on to that. And you chase after that. And the thrill of it, you know, there's that thrill. Yeah, just to get the thrill of it. And you don't realize that we're compromising different things about our faith. And sometimes it's good stuff. You know, it's just like you've got a great career, you know, um, there's endless possibilities, these kind of things. But then you're chasing that. And forget other things that are more fundamental and how this could literally stay you away from God. Yeah, yeah. I like what you mentioned there. and I, I, I like, There are two sides of it, at least the way that I hear your answer is. First of all, it's right in front of our face, right? And so we're only thinking about what's right in front of our face. And it's not just that it's something bad right in front of our face. It could be something good, right? But just something that is distracting us from something that's more important. And so I do like that, that we get distracted by things in this world. And because it's right here and because it's immediate, that's what we focus on. Uh, yes, ma'am? Um, at the end of... Paul does point out that we serve in the flesh the law of 
Yeah, yeah. And so that is interesting. Like he talks about who will set me free from this body of death. And I think sometimes, you can correct me in a week from now if you want, Brent. <laughs> I think sometimes people read that and they think, oh, when I was baptized, then Christ set me free from the body of this death. He's not talking about that. He is saying that while we are on earth in these bodies, we struggle and we wrestle with sinful desires. Who will set me free from this body of the death? Christ will when my life is over. And so there's an important understanding of I need to accept that my body is going to want things it shouldn't want. And I need to be ready to say no to those things. Yes, sir. I also believe, you know, we sell our souls for these earthly possessions because we don't understand eternity. We don't understand these concepts. We don't understand God. We don't understand any of it. So when, when we don't understand this, we don't we don't get, you know, we're selling our souls for a car. We don't understand hell. We don't understand any of it. So it's very easy to do it because we have no concept to grasp onto. Yeah, yeah. So these are concepts that we're not really thinking about. And one of the things that I had in my notes that I think is important to recognize is along those same lines where we can in a way understand those things obviously not in their fullness but we don't understand them at least we don't think about them because we're so distracted by so many other things I mean when was the last time you went on a drive and didn't turn on a podcast or listen to music when was the last time you went on a walk without airpods in we spend so much time being so distracted by so many different things we don't have time to really ruminate and really think about these very important spiritual truths. And so we're never fully going to understand them, but we can't even understand them to the little degree that we've been able to understand them because we've distracted ourselves so much, which goes back to what you were saying. Yes, sir. I, I think our natural I think the problem is pretty complex because I think our natural disposition whereby nature, the scripture says, objects of God wrath. And and so how we are socialized therefore becomes very, very important. Deuteronomy 6 passage, teaching your children, and so on and so forth. And, and, and I see some relation to that Romans 7 passage as well. Because, you know, who saved me from this body of death? And so, you know, it is bad company that corrupts good character, for example. And, and, and so the, the, it's really, it's complex, and, and the... the it's going to take time for to to, um, to understand to to really meditate, as you said. You know, take away the earphones and, and and get that attention. The question is, how do we get there in a society that is that is is, is really dysfunctional for one of another world and, and so on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you raised a good question. I don't quite know how to answer it, right? When you have so many pressures coming in from society, how do we how do we learn to be so fundamentally different? Um, that's a that's another deep question that uh, we could unpack for quite some time. Yes, sir. And I think one it's much easier to satisfy our needs and desires for stuff that we can see. It doesn't take a whole lot of faith to do that, and so it takes a lot more faith and and work to strive and to know what is waiting for. And to do what needs to be done to live a faithful life. Yeah, I like that you appreciate that you. 
I like that you appreciate. Sorry. I like that you brought out the idea of faith because that's really what it's going to take is I'm going to have to be able to believe in something that I cannot physically see in order to make the right choice here. I have to be able to believe that God is going to make good on his promise and that it really is going to be joy inexpressible and full of glory, as Peter says. And, and, and sometimes that's exactly – we lose sight of that. We don't think about that. We don't have enough faith to think, okay, I could make a little bit more money here and live in a bigger house here, but that ain't going to be anything worth uh, compared to what he's going to give me in eternity or what I get to experience there. So we need some faith. Yes, sir. We are easily deceived by whatever our individual temptations are. Okay. Um, just like Eve was very easily led astray. She knew what the truth was. She knew what God said, but that was like, you're not really going to die. So we too, just like Eve, are very easily led astray because we have that temptation. I want to taste that fruit. I want it. And we each have our own individual temptations and is easily led astray by the great deceiver. Yeah. And I think it's not just about the temptations. About, it's about the consequences as you brought out, right? We are deceived about it. That's another thing that I wrote down in my notes is sometimes we sell our souls because we don't really believe that God's going to make good on his promise, not just to reward but to punish as well. Uh, I think about Hebrews 10 where it talks about how there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins when we trample underfoot the Son of God and we insult the Spirit of grace. And I don't know about you, but, but whenever I choose sin, if it's not something that's in the moment, impulsive, uh, something that I haven't really thought through, I'm just reacting. If it's, some, if, it, if it's a sin that I consciously have chosen because it's what I want, that's one of the main things going on in the back of my mind. Oh, I'm not really losing my soul for this. This isn't really going to cost me everything. And that's really hard considering the society we've grown up in that says uh, – or that continually puts forward that idea. God is all mercy. God is all grace. God is no judgment. God does not have anger. God does not have wrath. We're not going to talk about those things. We're just going to talk about how wonderful and kind he is. And because we see that really one-sided view of God, we start convincing ourselves, I can do this without really selling my soul. And we forget what it says in Hebrews 10, that it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yes, ma'am. I think it's particularly hard. You mentioned that some things that are, are sinful are not inherently sinful. They're things that are, are okay to do, but how much time should you spend on these things? I mean, you can convince yourself that it's okay to, to do things sometimes when you really shouldn't spend any time yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so we kind of get our time sucked away from us, and we think about, I don't know, I think about not doing the sense of commission, but I don't think about how I need to be using my life in the service of God. Um, and so our time gets sucked away, and, and we don't realize that we've sold our souls in a way, if that makes sense. Yes, sir? Well, you started off by saying, this is like, you know, some preachers come and they preach fire and brimstone. When was the last time you heard a preacher preach fire and brimstone? You know? The deal is, is, is we literally, we've taken God and we make God all about love. And we ignore, we don't want to hear, we don't want to preach, we don't want to hear about, yes, there is justice. We want to hear John 3.16, but we don't want to hear verses 17 for the end of the, end of the chapter. Yeah. We don't want that. So, and I'm not talking people in the world, I'm talking about brethren in Christ. Mm -hmm. How all of a sudden now that we have this sort of thought process is like, hey, enough on the fire and brimstone already. That's in the scriptures. It's something to kind of put back in our forefront. Hey, listen, don't take God for granted. Yeah. 
care of these things so that you can change. And it's throughout the scriptures. I mean, Paul gives some of the hardest um, condemnations when you read in like Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, or even in Galatians and all these kind of things. And it's like all of a sudden it's like, yeah, 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 that was them. That's not us. <laughs> we don't want Revelation, the chapter, the churches of that's in there. Oh no, we want to be the good church. And we don't recognize all the churches are being encouraged. So by their lifestyles are not taken away. We just want to hear the good. We don't want to hear the punishment. So sometimes we're doing that to ourselves in the sense that we're trying to ignore that there is another side of God that is just as true like his love. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Well, and Brother Dane brings up a good point because even in the church, you know, and all the money we have and everything, I hear a lot, um, you know, that God wants us to be happy. And so it's like this overflow of spending and, you know, it's like I almost feel like it's a justification of all the idols, you know, like, oh, but we're blessed, so we should enjoy that, you know, and it's just such this overabundance of giving to ourselves that we don't even see that it's like, well, do you really need to be doing well, and that brings it back to the original question, right? Are you going to save your life or lose your life? And that, and I think that's why Jesus puts it that way. Is It's not about, hey, are you going to sin or are you not going to sin? It is, are you going to keep your life for yourself? Or are you going to give your life to me? And I think having that kind of perspective really, really changes the way we look at it. Um, well, the sermon that I'm going to preach this evening is going to talk a little bit more about the perspective we need to have of how we look at our life and then uh, the right way we all look at our life. Uh, what else? Why do people sell their souls? What do you think? Appreciate all your comments. Yes? We, we, we play Russian roulette with our lives. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to use myself. I'll see something and say, oh, yeah, I want that. But then in the back of my mind, I think about Judgment Day, the books, the volumes are going to be open. And everything we've done in this life, and it, and it kind of terrifies me. I said, oh, uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> because we can get so caught up and forget that if God wants to, he can take us out of this world at any second. Don't think about me. Live, I live my life by seconds. And it's like, he is wonderful. Because he could have said, you're gone. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people where you try to help them to stay in the word and they get out and they lose their life. And I'm like, oh, hell no. Uh-uh. I don't want that training. <laughs> so I kind of get back on this road. <laughs> That's right. Well, I think you're exactly right. That's actually the first thing that I put in my notes was that one of the reasons we sell our souls is because we convince ourselves we'll have plenty of time to buy it back. Right? It's like taking your soul to the pawn shop saying, hey, I'm going to get some cash now and I'll come back and buy it again later. Um, and that's what we tell ourselves a lot of time, that that's exactly what we can do. We procrastinate. Just like Felix in X 24 we say, hey, Come back in a more opportune time. Right now I'm living for myself, but I know, I know I can always come back later, right? I know Luke 15, I'm the prodigal son. I'm going to enjoy the pigsty for a little bit more. And I know God will take me back home whenever I'm ready. And so we tell ourselves that we can 
we can procrastinate and we can come back and buy it back anytime that we want, which is really foolish for two reasons. First of all, the most obvious reason is this is like Russian roulette. But you never have any idea when when your life is going to be extinguished and when you're going to be called home. Uh, one of the men who trained me, his, his name is Brother D. Bowman, he always liked to say that every night you drive home on a two-lane road, every time you pass a car, you're only three feet from eternity. And that is true. We tend to forget how close we are every second from our own death, or at least the possibility of our own death. But it's more than that. Um, the, the, the other reason why that's foolish is that we don't understand and we don't think about the effect that that choice has on us spiritually. That when we are the kind of people who say, hey, I'm going to game the system, I'm going to manipulate God's system of justice, not only is that an insult to the spirit of grace like we read about in Hebrews chapter 10, but we don't account for the fact that it totally changes us. That's what wickedness does. It perverts us. It twists us. It messes with us. And so we read about people in the Bible who are, for us in Corinthians 4, blinded by the gods of this world. In John 8, Jesus says that whoever commits a sin is what? We become a slave to that sin. And that's true that we are slaves to the consequences of it, but we're also slaves. We're also slaves to the practice of it. And it becomes harder to get ourselves out of it the more the deeper we dig ourselves into it. You read about that in 2 Peter 2, verses 18 through 19, where it talks about how we become slaves of corruption when this is the path of life that we choose. We see in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that we can become seared in our conscience. And so it's it's foolish for us to play Russian roulette with our lives. One, because we don't know when we're going to lose our lives. And secondly, because the longer we make those choices, the more those choices twist us and change us. And the less likely it is that I'm going to become that kind of person who truly has a heart for God. Which is what it's all about. Not just keeping rules, but becoming the kind of person who wants what God wants. Uh, yes, sir. What you said right there, the choice is really do I love myself or do I love God? And when we choose ourselves, that we're, we're, and that's, that's, the, that's the solution is we have to every day love God rather yeah. than ourselves. Because that's, the, that's the choice. We have to choose to love God more every day because, and that's a, there's a reason why that's the greatest command, right? That's what it's all about. Yes, ma'am. Um, we also get uh, caught up in um, just things that we can enjoy as like for instance the Super Bowl becomes once a year. So people like, well, I'm in church all year. One day, one night, I'm going to that. But we're putting that before God. Yeah, and these are important things to think about, right? What am I putting before God? What's more important than Him? In my life. Uh, we're running out of time. I have five more minutes, correct, Brent? Yes. <laughs> we're running out of time. There are a couple things that I wanted to say. Uh, I did this sermon in Kentucky earlier this year, and it originally had three answers to this question. Um, today I've got five, but uh, one of them was added during the Bible class that I taught at that church where one of the men there had this very perceptive thought. He said, the reason we sell our souls when we know better is because we haven't prepared ourselves to choose differently. And I really like that idea because the point he was making was we think that in the moment of temptation we're going to make the right choice just because we know what the right choice is. But the truth is you're not going to make the right choice unless you have been preparing yourself to make the right choice. Unless you have been diligent in prayer and diligent in Bible study and you have been training yourself to become the kind of person that will make the right choice. 
It's like Jesus says in Matthew 12. Can a, can a, can a, can a what is it? A bitter spring send out clean water? If you're the kind of person who's been filling your life with filth and, have, and has not been preparing yourself to make good choices, then, then you're not going to be able to make the right choice in those moments. We too often are the kind of people who depend on determination in the moment of temptation. We think, I'll make the right choice because I'm determined to make the right choice. And the truth is, we need to lean on diligence. We need to try every single day to be improving spiritually. When we apply that steady pressure every single day, that's what turns us into the kind of people who have a heart for God and who actually make the right choice in the moment of temptation. And one of the other things that I had on here was, ultimately, we sell our souls because we lack foresight. We just don't spend enough time thinking about the value of eternity. Thinking about how wonderful it will be to spend eternity with God. We spend too much time thinking about what we want here and what we desire here, and we don't think about what's waiting for us. And so today what I want to ask you is a simple question. Are you selling your soul for anything? And if you are, will you consider that whatever it may be, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. And so what I want to ask you to do is I want, I want you to take some time today or sometime this week. I want you to find a quiet moment free from distraction and cares of this world with no phone and no earbuds. And I want you to really ask yourself that question and meditate on that question. Am I keeping my life? Or am I losing my life?